Hello, pod pals. Welcome back to Best Girl Grip, the podcast that navigates the film industry through the lens of the women doing just that. I am your host, Nicole Davis. This week, my guest is Joanne Michael, the Director of Marketing and Distribution at Cornerstone, an international sales and financing company that launched in 2015. Some of their recent titles include Herself, directed by Philida Lloyd and produced by Element Pictures, Josephine Decker's enthralling psychodrama Shirley, starring Elizabeth Moss and Michael Stuhlbarg, the screen adaptation of Emma Jane Unsworth Animals, as well as an upcoming project called The Fantastic Flickcrofts, starring Mark Rylance and directed by Craig Roberts. Jo came to Cornerstone having spent five years at Hanway Films where she managed the international launches and releases of award-winning films including Todd Haynes's Carol and John Crowley's Brooklyn. We talk about the intricacies of marketing for a sales company as opposed to a distributor, the creative point of view it requires, what happens when a film goes to a market and the best piece of advice that Jo has ever received. As someone who had a brief stint working in sales, it was a joy to revisit that element of the film industry, and also during a year where things have felt decidedly quieter on the cinematic front, to be reminded of the magic and madness of a market. So I'm very grateful to Joe for joining me. This is episode 70 of Best Girl Grip. So I, I guess the best place to start is sort of maybe the beginning of your film journey. And that's um, if you went to university, um, where did you go and what did you study? So I went to the University of Westminster and studied film and television production. I kind of decided quite early on that film was the thing for me. I was always like a kind of creative kid. I was doing like dance and drama and I did like kind of media at GCSE and things like that. And I kind of made quite a bold like I'm gonna work in film choice which my mum was very anxious about being you know she's like I don't understand that world at all I very much liked the allure of film because it had the potential for travel and to Mm. work collaboratively and to be creative but also be organized so I studied there for three years and over the course of those three years I kind of started to lean more towards producing um, and ended up Uh, part of the graduation was that you had to do a dissertation and you had to produce or be part of a team for a short film. And so I came out of university going, I'm a producer. Uh, You learn so many skills and, and they're all extremely valuable and practical, but there's so many facets to producing that I hadn't learned at university. So I kind mm. of uh, started doing internships and just kind of, I'm fortunate enough to have grown up in London so I could live with my parents. I did work a part-time waitressing job and then I went and did 18 months of unpaid internships, which was quite the challenge. You know, some some were great where they like kind of at least covered my travel, some didn't do that. So it was a bit of a balancing act. I'm definitely fortunate again that I I lived with my parents and it was kind of across a lot of different places you know I did one with a location company uh one I did at QWERTY but when they when they were doing inside pictures and then a couple of different production companies Steel Mill which I don't think they exist anymore actually but it was Ken Marshall um and Rachel Mm. Dargavel and uh Number Nine Films which was the kind of real kind of eye-opening door-opening one for me 
So I kind of got to know Liz and Stephen a little bit and Joe Laurie, who was there at the time, and they were extremely kind and and, uh, helpful to me. And they were working with Hamway at the time um, in sales. And that's kind of where I ended up in my first job. But I kind of had like a, a, you know, I worked very hard. I put myself in the right positions, but I did have a massive stroke of good luck. Uh, in that the film that I produced at university um, got selected for Cannes Short Film Corner. And uh, at the time, I was waitressing at uh, Emirates Stadium, which is Arsenal's football ground. I kind of waitressed throughout university and a little bit afterwards for the cash. And uh, one of my customers was a documentary filmmaker. Like, he made documentary films for, like, uh, Amnesty International and, and other kind of charities and what have you and I was really excited and like they're regular customers because they have season tickets and what have you so I got to know them a little bit and he was like you know are you going to Cannes and I was like I work here and he was like work out how much you need and I'll give it to you and I was like no you won't that's not cool and he was like no 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 like here's my here's my email here's my mobile number you kind of tell me how much you need and I will pay for you to go. Mm. And I, I kind of looked it up and it was like really expensive. And I sent him an email and I was like, thank you so much for your generosity. It's so kind of you, but I, like, it's going to be nearly a thousand pounds. Like I could never ask that of a complete stranger. Mm-hmm. And he sent me a check for 2000 pounds and I went to Cannes and that was really wow. amazing, really kind of life-changing. I didn't know what I was doing mm-hmm. at all. <laughs> I went and watched movies and and kind of uh, just kind of soaked in the atmosphere a little bit and obviously talked to people about my short film. But Joe Laurie, who was at number nine at the time, uh, kind of took me out, introduced me to people and like just kind of took me under her wing a little bit. And that was amazing. And it kind of put me in her mind when there was a receptionist job going at Hamway she put me forward for that and that was kind of my first job obviously you know I did lots of things to make that happen but at the same time boy was I lucky yeah yeah it's like being in the place to create the fortune as well like create the good fortune for yourself. I'm wondering at, at that point, um, you know, when you were interning at like number nine and did you have designs on a career as a producer? Was it only until you got to Hanway that you started to learn about like, you know, sales and that kind of world as well? Oh, definitely. Like I, I really, producing was the thing that I loved the most and that I had kind of experience in as well. And so I was trying to learn in in that respect and kind of like grow those skills as much as possible but then it did really start to get to a point where it was like I need to earn money and you know I did come to a bit of a crossroads where I was like if I don't get a job a paying job soon I'm gonna have to rethink what I'm doing here because it's just it's just too hard and it's been too long and then just as I was thinking that the job at Hamway came up I knew absolutely nothing about international <laughs> sales. I mean, thankfully, again, like like people like Joe at, at Number Nine and 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 others had like worked with Hamway or international sales agents, so could give me a little kind of like this is what you need to know kind of thing. Um, and obviously, I did my own little research, but it still wasn't the same as being kind of eventually being plunged into that world and being like, I have mm. no idea what we're doing here or why. And yeah. just having to kind of like really pick it up as, as I went along. Definitely difficult, but it was really exciting because, you know, it, one of the things, as I said, like 
that I liked about the idea of working in film was working collaboratively and traveling and seeing different worlds and cultures and what mm. have you. And, and international sales is right on the, the cusp of that. And did you get a sense, obviously you learned on the job, and did you get a sense of more about the different roles within sales and what about it appealed to you? So I definitely, I started as a receptionist and kind of an assistant to the sales team, but Hamway is like, you know, still is, I believe, uh, like a mid-sized company. So there were plenty of different kind of departments. So like understanding about what business affairs did and like marketing Mm -hmm. and there was the sales team and then there was the library sales team and what was the difference between those two things and also obviously it has a sister company which is recorded pitch company which is a production company so there was so much to take in and then there was definitely a lot of exposure to all of those kinds of things which really just kind of you know it took a bit of time but they all kind of slotted in together so that you could build the actual Mm. picture of what we're doing every every market that we're going to and every yeah. film that we bought and why and how. Uh, and they were very good at like kind of also, you know, the acquisitions meetings that like everyone was in that. So everybody got to read scripts and thing, things like that and assess them and hear other people talk about what's good about them, what's bad about them. So it really gave you a real kind of overview of everything that was happening it's funny you mentioned that because I've literally just um, released an episode with Gabrielle Stewart, um, who's obviously MD of Hanway. And, and that sounds like something that's quite unique to Hanway is that practice of involving everyone in the process and, you know, getting everyone in the room to sort of hear about the journey. And so at what stage do you like remember when you were exposed to marketing and you thought that make that could be something that I could be good at? I was receptionist for about six months and then there was a bit of a kind of reshuffle and Tim Haslam left and Torsten Schumacher became MD and Mm -hmm. he kind of brought in new salespeople and he asked me to step up to be his assistant and the sales coordinator um so I did that for about two years which was really fantastic like I got to work much more closely with people like Claire Taylor and Kiara Jaladin who are amazing salespeople um, mm. and and with Torsten himself and then uh, and with the marketing team a bit more and I was getting to the point where I'd, I'd done enough and like you know the team were looking to me to go I want to start selling I want to I want my own territories and start selling and I was just like right. I'm not sure if that's who I am with sales you know you like there's a there's a repetition to it and there's a kind of like technique to like talking to people Mm -hmm. and and how you kind of approach them and and I just didn't know whether I really had that kind of personality whether I I always get a bit uncomfortable trying to push people into something or not so and that's obviously a huge part of sales so I I was just kind of like really thinking about it and I liked the idea of working in an international sales agent to kind of helped me learn a bit more about producing and financing and that side of it and so that was a great element of it but I just kind of felt I don't know whether being a salesperson is really what my heart desires and so it was a bit Mm. I was at a bit of a crossroads and you know thankfully the team really liked me and they didn't want to lose me so they were like okay let's think about how like what you could do and it just so happened that at the same time I was at this crossroads 
the marketing manager was leaving to go do his own kind of creative thing. The head of marketing at the time, Jonathan Lynch Staunton, he was like, well, let's have a coffee, let's have a chat. And so we started talking about it. And it actually transpired that I was already doing a bit of marketing in my sales role. And he was like, you could totally do this. So I ended up moving over. And yeah, I, I really have enjoyed it. Marketing in sales is a very kind of specific way of marketing and, and, and what have you, but it definitely mixes kind of the skills of organization and creative. And that's exactly what I like as well. I like being organized and practical, but I also like to have a creative point of view and what have you. Well, that's a good time probably to drill down into marketing for sales, because we'll, we'll come back to kind of your career progression into where you are now. But as I understand, it's another sales company. And as you say, it's very specific. It's more like B2B marketing, I guess, as opposed to the B2C when you're getting a film out to an audience. So can you sort of give me an overview of when, when a film comes to a sales company, you know, where does your journey with that film begin? What are you doing to, to start to market that film? So I'm at Cornerstone now and the way that we tend to approach it is that we usually board a film at script stage and when we're acquiring a film we think about who the audience is, what territories the film would work in, what territories the film wouldn't work in and that kind of feeds into my colleagues in sales work where they kind of do estimates and and, uh, kind of working out their pitches to distributors. And then that feeds into my work in terms of, you know, drilling down on the kind of key talking points, the key demographics, and then eventually creating sales materials for the team. So we'll usually create something like a promo or a teaser, which is in essence a trailer, but doesn't need to hide as much information as it were and that sometimes can be made from from very early assemblies of the films sometimes while they're still shooting depending on what what's been covered and sometimes a bit later in the process certain companies also make um sales artwork we currently don't do that but um it's generally been a practice where you know you put you mock together artwork that kind of gives you a kind of positioning idea or a, a genre or tone idea of the film and then it kind of follows through to like we'll go to the markets and we'll launch the films at those markets and share those assets and show them to distributors so that they can potentially put an offer in to pre-buy the film that then goes into the financing if it hasn't been made already and then we kind of work with the production as films start to get off the ground and we you know in, in my particular role, consult on stills photographers or EPK or, you know, work with the kind of uh, domestic distributor to kind of make sure that their needs are being met um, in terms of what's being captured and what we can deliver out to our distributors later on for their campaigns. And then, you know, the next kind of big moment is the, the launch of the films at the festivals. Um, and that's really about working with publicity teams um, to get kind of awareness and anticipation for the films to um, kind of gear up. And again, it sort of depends whether you have a domestic distributor, wherever it's um, launching, whichever festival it's launching at, as right. to whether you have kind of a poster or trailer or what have you drop around that time. More often than not, we don't have a distributor at the festival launch. So that's very much on us as a team to kind of decide when we launch a clip and what clip that is or what kind of publicity we do in the lead up to like really focus our buyers to get them to that Mm -hmm. screening and have that kind of 
exciting moment of, you know, we've watched the film. Hopefully we're all really excited about it and there's a huge <laughs> bidding war. I mean, that's the that's the dream scenario. Not often, uh, not always the case rather, <laughs> but um, that's always the dream scenario. So in my role in marketing, I do a lot of logistics around that. So it's a lot of kind of helping the publicity team kind of organize the team's actually traveling there and what publicity and what positioning we're we're having for that and just like practical setup of where they're staying, how they're getting places, what have you, um, and mm. lots of like ticketing. I am a ticketing queen at markets. So you end up following a film for its entire life, really. That's mm. that's all before the film's even been picked up by distributors in, in most cases and released anywhere. So then there's a whole other side of it where you're kind of managing international releases of the films. So normally a domestic distributor would create the lead materials, which we would help collaborate on and and help guide and give feedback on. Then we'd kind of disperse that and deliver it to our international partners who then may take a different point of view for their territory. You'd be surprised Mm -hmm. how different each country and each territory, Mm -hmm. you know, sees particular talent or sees particular genre or what have you. And and so they may create their whole new campaign or they may completely copy what another territory has done. It, It really varies. So you get to really tap into like the nuances of a specific country and how how they perceive or want to promote something um so that's quite exciting in that way and then I'm interested in how you measure the success of the campaign because obviously there's like the very quantifiable element which as you kind of mentioned like you you start a bidding war over a film and if it you know sells out in you know across the world that's obviously you've done a very great job but then is there another part that you're also looking to just awareness in general like what are the two kind of sides or you know maybe even more than that that for you indicate that you've done a good job it's a really interesting question I think the you know it's really about the 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 business side of it and the actual kind of commercial side of it I guess so in the business sense there's you know if there is a bidding war if you sold out the world if you've sold it much more successfully than maybe you had estimated you would or what have you so there's success in that respect and then there's success in terms of the quality of distributor you're working with and the type of campaign and just as you said like the engagement with it it's always really lovely to have people when, when you mention a title of a film to someone who doesn't work in film then go oh I ha- I've heard of that oh I've seen that oh, I loved that like that is always a really kind of fulfilling uh, moment and yeah and then I guess like you know the other quantifiable thing is just like reviews like people actually responding to mm-hmm. the film um obviously we're not the filmmakers but we do take a lot of pride in working with people that we think are going to make really good films and having a voice in how it's being shaped. So making, you know, when people do come back with a five or four star review or like that it moved them very deeply or what have you, that's again, you know, a sign that we're doing something right. Mm. And then, I mean, not to dwell on the the negative side, but obviously, um, you know, not every film has a five-star review, you know, in them. And, you know, not every film can be a smash hit. So how do you kind of change your approach when maybe it becomes clear that it's not going to do as well? Because obviously you're still, you're still backing that film. You still want to give it the release that it deserves. So 
yeah, can you talk to me, you know, maybe how you approach that side of things? Yeah, I mean, obviously, that then becomes a little trickier. But I mean, we, you know, we try to treat all of our babies with the same love, you know, uh, <laughs> no matter no matter how successful or not at the box office or what have you they are. The films that you work on are still with you for such a long time. You know, my t- my sales team are preparing to go to AFM, uh, you know, sort of this week, but also next week. And they are still peddling all of the titles that are in our catalogue because there's mm. value there. And especially in the time that we're currently living in and the kind of um, explosion of VOD, um, there's plenty of opportunity for films that haven't been sold as as well as we would have hoped to find an audience still often there are films that maybe you know haven't made you know the type of money that people would hope or or you know maybe gotten the critical acclaim they would hope but they have something compelling about them that makes them interesting for audiences around the world still you know we just try and make sure you know there's something for everyone out there isn't there in kind of all walks of life exactly like different different films for different like moods and days as well and then I mean let's kind of go back a little bit then so to how you got to Cornerstone um how long did you spend at Hanway and uh, and at what stage did you feel like you were ready to step up because obviously director of marketing is you know a huge level of responsibility so did you kind of did that opportunity arise and you think yeah I could do that or were you sort of recommended for the role how did that come about I was at Hanway in the end for a total of five years I guess we were we ended up being a relatively small team in my last year at Hamway. It was just me and Jono um, covering marketing and publicity, and I really enjoyed that. I mean, we had an amazing can that year that was that ended up being my last can at at, at Hamway, where we had Carol and Tale of Tales uh, in in official competition, amazing. and that was really exciting and and really stressful <laughs> um and um and that was a bit of a baptism of fire but when I kind of stepped out of that I was kind of like oh okay I am ready for something more because like we between the two of us we achieved mm. you know Carol with like huge talent in it that like needed very kind of specific management and then Tale of Tales which did have some big talent in it, but was more vast. It had huge numbers of people who wanted to come to Cannes and wanted to, you know, do those things and like building a campaign for that. And I was kind of like ready to do a bit more, but I kind of didn't know whether being at Hamway, you know, five years is a long time. So I was like, oh, do I need to get out there more in the industry? Because I, you know, whilst I'd done lots of different internships in the lead up to that, my only kind of mm. full-time job had ever been at Hamway. And so basically it was, I kind of got introduced to Cornerstone because Carla, who is still my colleague now, she used to work at Hamway and she left to go work at Focus Features. And then when Focus closed, Alison Thompson, who's my boss now, she left Focus, uh, kind of had an interim company called Sunray Films that had the Amy... Mr. Turner and Sunshine on Lee that was essentially yeah it was essentially Alison and Carla really Mm -hmm. and then and then she partnered with Mark Gooder um, to create Cornerstone and Carla was kind of doing a bit of everything and they were kind of just building the company and she and I were just chatting you know as friends and she was like well you know we might need a (laughs) we might need someone in marketing soon and so I kind of 
met with Alison and just had like a conversation and it kind of became clear that they were looking for someone of my skill level where I was ready to take that step up, ready to kind of, I knew enough to get everything going and kind of um, pull off everything that we needed to, but I was also ready to take that kind of higher step. So they were looking for someone who knew the lay of the land and what needed to be achieved for each market and and for each mm. film. But maybe, you know, A, wasn't going to take a huge, huge salary in a startup company, but B, was kind of going to creatively grow with them and, and kind of, you know, have a longevity with the company. They're building a family unit as much as they are a, a mm. kind of business. And so they really do take care of us and want to see us excel and grow and they try to give us the opportunities to grow as the company grows as well there's lots to be learning so it's really it's been a it's been an exciting ride I bet and I'm really interested in obviously you were the first person in marketing you know in that company so did that give you an opportunity to reinvent the wheel or change your approach at all and if so how did you do that it's interesting because initially, because not only was I stepping into a new job with two people who are so established in the industry, but we were literally stepping into Alison's house because the first office that we had was in her, her kitchen. So that was like a kind of uh, exciting and terrifying and an odd experience. And so when I first started, I kind of just wanted to like make sure that I was you know, achieving what we needed to achieve. Um, I very much, I left Hamway on a Tuesday and started Cornerstone on a Wednesday with a hangover in between. And uh, it was just uh, just a month before AFM. So there was like, with timelines of physically attending markets and preparing assets and what have you, it was extremely tight. So I, I was very anxious about just kind of making sure I got what I knew done and so we did do that and like over time we kind of managed to you know I got to know Alison and Mark and their style more and they kind of gave me more room to breathe and give suggestions and and what have you so we have actually kind of evolved how we've well branded the company and also kind of uh, approach sales quite a lot over the five years that I've been here and with that actually we actually took a step back and we're like, okay, let's take a look at how we're doing sales and how we are communicating to our distributors and what we're communicating and can we be giving them more information or more more reasons to pick up that script or watch that promo or come talk to us. Um, So we have shifted over time and I think a lot of the choices and how you do that are really down to what's happening in the industry, what's happening in the world, and how can we be nimble enough and kind of engaged enough to make sure that we're keeping up with all of those changes and doing the best job that we can and and being as available and communicative to our distributors in particular as we can. And I mean, more so than ever this year, I guess. And you know, how have you adapted to that? Because obviously everything, all the markets are pretty much virtual now. So are you doing anything differently um, to adjust to that? Yeah, we, we you know, for CAN, virtual CAN, we had a uh, online setup. So, you know, everybody's working from home, obviously. So 
rather than having our sales team having a meeting every 30 minutes in a physical office in on you know the closet they were doing that virtually so we kind of built a kind of pitch room that had assets that they could show but also was a video conferencing and had all of that mm-hmm. so it really was the biggest pivot that I've had to do in a 10-year <laughs> career and also you know like thankfully we actually haven't had any screenings or any really any films that would be submitted to festivals so we haven't felt the kind of impact of that at the moment but we're definitely kind of reassessing how you know what's the value of a of a market a festival launch in this current climate and how do we make sure that the films are still getting the value that they need or will they still have theatrical releases or can they actually you know thrive on VOD or what have you so there's a lot of kind of rethinking and readjusting. I guess, you know, we, we've we're sort of dug into the specifics of the role, but I'm wondering if there's anything about the job that might surprise people that you do or, yeah, that you're responsible for? Like, you know, I, I do get to work very closely with directors and producers. And I think sometimes people maybe think of sales agents as, well, you know, you don't have a creative point of view. You're just like selling, mm-hmm. you know, like you're you're hired to do a job kind of thing and I think actually if you're a good sales agent or sales agency you're more than that you're you are a sounding board you are creatively inputting you are getting to have those conversations directly with directors and producers and and helping guide casting as well like things like that you know are really important things to be contributing to the filmmaking process even if you're not kind of standing on set or kind of you know doing full script notes or what have you there is a there's definitely there's a creative element that is beyond just the release of the film I remember, you know, being in sales at one point, like, you know, not everything's set in stone, I think, as well, like film titles can change. And I remember being in a brainstorm meeting there. And it's like such obviously a key part of the film as it might be known to the audience. And you're there as a junior member of the team suggesting what else this film might be able to be called. Um, And I'm wondering what you enjoy most about the job. I really enjoy getting out from behind a computer and being at a market and being at a festival and they're highly pressurized situations so sometimes they aren't entirely enjoyable but by the end of them you know when you you pulled off an event and not only do people like the film that you've shown but your kind of film team are really happy with what you've done and and you kind of have a sense of accomplishment I really enjoy that and like actually you know because there is so much emailing and phone calls and what have you actually seeing people's faces and being like hey you're a person I've been emailing back and forth for you know five months or whatever now we can finally see each other that's also really nice and yeah just kind of physically being amongst the film industry and like kind of enjoying that I think is really important Particularly, I think maybe in sales where you could get caught up in the numbers or the commercial side of things to be in an atmosphere where you're reminded that, you know, for the most part, people are there because of just a love of film and a passion for cinema. Like, it is nice to sort of reimmerse yourself in that. Absolutely. I mean, sitting in 
I was in Sundance two years ago. Two years ago? Yeah, nearly two years ago. Um, and we had the premiere of Blinded by the Light, um, which is Gurinder Chada's film. And, like, being in the Eccles Theatre and having Gurinder, like, getting people to singing Bruce Springsteen songs. Like, like you know, 1,500, 2,000 people singing Bruce Springsteen. It's like, you know, that is that's what you're there for. That's what you're doing all of this hard work for, mm. you know. Obviously, it's for money and success and all those things. It's the emotion. It's the feeling. It's like, you know, mm. that is something that you strive to achieve. And then, you know, if it's possible to distill it, um, is there something that you consider to be the biggest learning curve of your career so far? Well, there's definitely been lots of things that kind of I didn't at all realise and then kind of got a kind of quick lesson in and kind of like okay gotta gotta just roll with that but I think actually I got a piece of advice very early on when I started at Hamway and I think it's a really good one it was Ruzi Hasanova who was the sales manager at Hamway at the time she was training me up and she just kind of said to me if you ever don't know anything ask a question but also if you get something wrong just say, yep, I got that wrong. Here's what we're going to do about it. And I think that that has been a really good piece of advice for my entire life, to be perfectly honest. But it really, to be solution oriented and to just kind of own up, don't cause an issue or what have you, be like, yep, I screwed up on this, but here's how I'm, how I think we can fix this. That is so valuable. And asking the questions to get there and not being afraid to ask questions, I think is also really important. And then finally, what is a film from a woman director that you think is a bit of a hidden gem that maybe you wish more people had seen? So I thought long and hard about this one. Um, <laughs> and the one that I've landed on is Diary of a Teenage Girl. I had adore that film (laughs) um I really like it was her debut film and I love the way that it just kind of without any kind of shame or or kind of judgment it it tells the story Mm -hmm. of a 15 year old girl and her sexuality in a really honest and funny and awful and you know creative way and I think not enough people really engage with it and it's like tremendous performance from Belle Powley as well and I just really, yeah, I really adore that film. So that that that's my pick. Yeah, that's I can endorse that one hundred percent. I love I love how it just kind of balances the yeah, as you say, like it's it's quite filthy. It's very sweet. It's it's yeah, it's kind of balances a lot of tones. Joe, thank you so so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you for having me. It's been really nice to talk to you and get to know you. And hopefully, this is helpful to someone out there. <laughs> Thank you for downloading this episode of Best Girl Grip. You can find all my previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Acast. If you're interested in learning more about this particular field, I recommend listening to my recent interview with Gabrielle Stewart, the Managing Director of Hanway Films. In the meantime, have a lovely week. (laughs) 